Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Going to start off the service a little different this morning. Um, Laura mentioned to me that I often give a report about my meetings and my travels in the Sunday school hour, but the rest of the church doesn't get to hear it. So I want to tell you all a little bit about this past week and uh, just all the stuff that God did. We, I left uh, early Monday morning and uh, drove to Rochester, New York, and I uh, got there in time to spend a little bit of time with the pastor and spoke in the meeting that night. We had about 40 pastors from all over uh, New York State there along with his church. And it was, it was just a great time. Um, and what I was able to do, uh, where's Patrick at? He's downstairs. Okay, he must be in junior church. Well, you all might not know, but Patrick Kennedy is a real historian. He's, he's the real deal. And sometimes on these meetings, he's preparing ahead of time for me to go. And so he really provided me some great information on the, the seminaries there in Rochester. So the three major seminaries of the Baptist faith in the Northeast were there. And, um, and they all went bad. And so Patrick provided me with some books and some resources that I hadn't been aware of. And so I was able to talk with those pastors about why is it so spiritually dark in New York. And um, Laura and I got to go to Scotland, what's it, 10 years ago, maybe more now. And there's a, there's a palpable, by the way, I just looked at Brother McDaniel, another preacher that gets up and starts talking, and I feel like Kermit the Frog when I talk after a great voice like that. Unbelievable. But anyway, when we were in um, Scotland, there's a palpable spiritual darkness there. You can, you can feel it. And that's the way it is in, in New York and in the Northeast now. And so that's really what I preached on. Why did this happen? And how do we, how do we minister in a world of darkness. And so while I was there, um, I see this pastor and I recognize his voice because I'd spoken to him on the phone. So, you know, Paul Gentry, pastors in Oklahoma City. He used to pastor out in uh, Washington and Washington State. Well, this is the guy that followed him in the church there. And I'd never met him before. He flew out to be at the meeting because he wanted to, to be a part of what we're doing here at Grace Baptist. And um, here's what he didn't know and I didn't know. So the second church I went to was Buckley Road Baptist Church. That's where I did a discipleship conference there for him from Wednesday through Saturday. Well, that church was started by my father 52 years ago. So I say that at the church in Rochester, this pastor from, Ever not Everett, whatever the city is that he's in out there in Washington, is there in the room and I say, my dad started Buckley Road Baptist Church. His mother was saved there 40 years ago. And now he was a missionary in the Philippines. He's pastoring in Washington. And I wanted to call dad so bad and tell him that. But I think he knows. What do you think? In heaven? I think he knows that. And so I just, what a blessing. And that pastor from Buckley Road was also speaking in the meeting. And so that was just a really fun reunion. And Pastor Smith is very fatherly. He's very stately. Pastored that church for 40 years. 
He's helped start, I don't know, probably 50 churches in the Northeast. He's just an amazing man, very fatherly. I got up and preached after him. I said, I always feel like when I preach after Brother Smith, I'm going to tell one of my stupid jokes, and he's just going to go, (sighs) but it was just a blessing to see him. And Pastor Ferris there from, I got to remember the name of the town, Mount Vernon, Washington. So while I'm there, while I was there, I took the pastor over to Colgate Seminary. And remember, we talked about that last week, the Colgate toothpaste guy that donated all the money. And I don't guess they had toothpaste then. It was soap then. But um, that's why none of them had teeth. Remember in the pictures, it's all wood teeth and stuff. But anyway, he, um, we go to Colgate Seminary. And there were no cars. There's nobody there. But the front door was open, and they've rented out some of the space to businesses, but it's all completely empty, this Colgate uh, Divinity School. And so I thought, well, what a great time to tour. So I took the preacher, and we walked through all the building and found the directions to the library. I go in the library, and it's basically cleaned out except for two sections of books. But there's some cool old books there, and I'm thinking, what are they going to do with these books? What's going on with this seminary? I thought maybe they're just remodeling it or something. So I went into one of the businesses, and they said, well, it's been sold. And they're clearing everything out of it. So I, I talked about the history of, of Rochester Colgate Seminary. And we're going to get to in the message this morning in Psalm 119. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. But... So I told the story of, of Colgate Seminary in the service last, that night and how there are books there and it would be wonderful for the ancient Baptist press, that, you know, the things that we publish out of here, or maybe Jeff Faggart's Baptist History Preservation Society to get some of these things. And I commented on that in the sermon. The man who bought the seminary, his sister was watching the sermon online and called the guy and told him, and he said, well, they're not supposed to be in there. That's private property. Well, there goes that. And he said, uh, she gave him my phone number, got it from the pastor, and he's going to contact us about getting those books. Now, he might want a lot of money for them. I don't know. But isn't that cool? And there are some things there that that there was, uh, you don't care. But anyway, there was a bunch of really neat material. I started to get really detailed, and Wade's already going to sleep. So, um And then we went to Rochester Divinity School. And so there were three major divinity schools. Crozier, which was in Pennsylvania, in 1970 that united with Rochester Divinity School and Colgate Divinity School. They all united into one. And at that point, they were Baptist, uh, Episcopal, Presbyterian, and Catholic all meeting together. And as of 2018, one of the histories I was reading, they had grown it to 90 students. That's all there was. And now it's gone. So I went to Rochester Divinity School. That at one time, Rochester Divinity School had the largest library, the largest library of religious literature on the continent of North America. It's all gone. Jeff Faggart believes they've thrown them away because there's such hatred for what we believe and our heritage. As a matter of fact, that we went to the information desk at Rochester Library, at the Divinity School at the University of Rochester, and 
on the counter were postcards that you could take. And they're, they're getting ready for Father's Day. And it said, Father's Day is coming. Smash the patriarchy. Because every sociologist would tell you that the biggest problem we have in the United States is overactive fathers. That's, that's the world that we live in. And it was such a fascinating time. So I preached Monday and Tuesday. It was all day Monday, all day Tuesday. And Tuesday was from 9 o'clock in the morning until 11.30 at night, either speaking or doing question and answer. I, I, on Wednesday, I did a podcast, a video podcast, and it was crazy busy. So then Wednesday, drove to Syracuse and Liverpool, just outside Syracuse, and started teaching discipleship. So we printed up all of our discipleship material, and we took that church through it. And these people were troopers. So about three hours of it yesterday, finished it up. And that church is so excited about biblical discipleship. And all through that, I was able to tell stories about you all. Where's Jody Hickman? I was able to talk about Jody getting saved. And what just what discipleship does. I, I, I told the story about Bob Maxwell at 84 years old getting baptized. One of our deacons who, when he learned what baptism was, wanted to give a testimony that he had not been scripturally baptized and what an encouragement that was to Grace Baptist Church. So it was so fun to go through, you know, 24 years of Grace Baptist ministry here. And you all were, every, every illustration was someone from Grace Baptist that God has used because of discipleship. And it's just such an exciting thing. I felt like when Paul says to um, the church at Thessalonica that, that their testimony is spread to Achaia and Macedonia so that we don't even need to talk about it. That's what's happening from Grace Baptist Church. And so it was just such a tremendous week, and I appreciate you praying for me. Um, I think I spoke 14 times. Uh, I, on these trips, I also spend time with pastors trying to help them and one pastor came to me, and I don't, because this is on YouTube and things, I don't want to give any of the details, but just some devastating stuff going on in his family and trying to minister to him and counsel him. Um, and they're starving for truth. And so just in this week, seven pastors there requested meetings to come and teach in the Northeast. And it wouldn't it be good to maybe combine, combine some of those things. And, but I just want you to know that when you all pray for what we're doing when we're outside of Grace Baptist, and when guys like Nathaniel are able to take a Bible study, and the fact that we have so many men at Grace Baptist that can fill the pulpit, don't take that for granted. But when I'm gone, I want you to know that we're taking Grace Baptist around the world. And right now, um, I've got requests to go to Egypt again. They just got that this week. I don't know if you got Brother Figali's letter. Um, they're going back to Egypt this summer. The Thomases want us in India to teach Baptist doctrine and discipleship. Um, the Philippines trip, the, well, where we'll have 10,000 people there, is coming up this coming year. Um, that's that Striving Together or the Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia. Um, anyway, these things are great. The, COVID isn't stopping the work of God. So anyway, there you go. That's my testimony. I want you to know what I've been doing. Got home at 10 o'clock last night. I'm kind of tired. And so we'll 
see how this all comes out today. Wouldn't it be better to read the Bible now, but I wanted you to know what's been... Stand up. Let's all look at Psalm 119. If you don't want to stand up, blame Wade. He was asleep. (laughs) All right. And so, hopefully this is my last ADD moment this morning. I was so thankful for this text. I was trying to prepare this week. I was so tired. And this is one of those texts that if you can't preach it as a preacher, you need to get a new job. And I'm excited to tell you what this text says. So let's look at this together. Psalm 119, look at verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. So my message this morning is standing in awe of God's word. Standing in awe of God's word. Verse 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying. But thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Now look at verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. How many of you think our culture could stand that verse right now? I've never seen a time when people are more offended. It's unbelievable. Verse 166. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation. And done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Lord, we love you. What an amazing passage of Scripture. And Lord, of course, I can't preach everything that's in this this morning. But in this overview, I pray that that we'll be encouraged and you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't know if you noticed, but in this text, in this passage, the, the, ver- the, the statements are shorter. They're more concise. They're, they're not as flowery. He's getting to the end of the psalm, and he's wrapping some things up. And the expressions are less subtle. But what I, I want us to, to look at this text, and we're going to look at half of it this morning and half of it this evening. I hope you'll come back at 5 o'clock to hear the rest of the section. But... In, in this, uh, it, I want us to look at it all in the light of this first statement, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. My heart standeth in awe of thy word. Now, we know that often when the Bible tells you to fear God, that the definition that's given of fear is reverential awe, right? Have you all heard that before? That fear is reverential awe. Um, but here it's the opposite of it. It's awe. But awe is fear. It is fear. I think that we all understand what the word fear means. You ever been afraid of something? Rodney Dangerfield said, I haven't been that afraid since the last time I saw my wife in shorts. (laughs) That was funny. Fear. Fear. We all understand what fear is. Is, come back. Some of you, you're gone, <laughs> right there. On that. We all understand what fear is. Have you ever been terrified of something in your life? Genuinely terrified. That's what fear is. The Bible says, "Perfect love casteth out fear," and yet we're commanded to fear God. Spurgeon made a great comment on that. 
in this text, he said, his fear of God was not of the kind which perfect, which perfect love casts out, but of the sort which it nourishes. So what does it mean to stand in awe of God's Word? What does that look like? Well, this text really fleshes it out. So awe of God's Word, it prevents fear of man. Awe of God's Word prevents fear of man. Look at verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Now, one, a, a good way to interpret Scripture and to understand it is to remember who's writing it and how would they, what would they have meant when they wrote it. Now, we're not, we're not princes. Other than we're princes with God. We're kings and priests before God. But in this life, when you walk in the room, nobody says, Hello, Your Majesty. Right? And so, when we read that, we think of authority. That authority is persecuting me. That's not the way that David would have understood it. These are his peers. His peers. And all of us, when, when we stand up for the Lord, whether it's as an engineer, as a factory worker, as a, as a, as a school teacher, as, as a stay-at-home mom, when, when we take a stand for the Lord, our peers can begin speaking against us. And persecuting us. We need to be able to say it the way that David did without a cause. So that it actually helps when people are attacking you. If in the back of your mind you can say, okay, I'm going to examine my life and see if I brought this on myself. When you examine your life and you say, you know what, I've not done wrong to them. Man, it makes it a little easier to get through the persecution. It makes it a little easier. When people have gotten mad at me at the church and they leave the church, or people get mad and they they say things about us, the sad thing is, many times I gave them a reason to say something. And even if it wasn't really fair, you know what I mean, where maybe they'll, they'll overreact to what I did or whatever, or they don't leave for that reason, but they use my error for their reason for leaving, The part of that that hurts is they're right. I gave them ammunition. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I gave them, and and I I just hate that. I want to be holy. One of the things that that, uh, people criticized President Trump for was his tweeting, you know. And honestly, that never bothered me because they were going to attack him anyway, right? But regardless... The point they were making is let's not give them ammunition to use. Let's make sure that whatever they say against us cannot be true. And isn't that a good way to live? But what this does, what this text is saying, when I fear God, when I have awe of his word, I fear men less. When I understand how powerful God is, I fear the power of man less. My brother beat me up often. He was bigger than me. He's still bigger than me. He was meaner than me. He's still meaner than me. Um, I remember one time my senior year of high school, my parents lived in uh, Indiana already. We were still living in New York. Had an apartment with my brother. It's my, I'm, so I'm 18. My brother's 19. He's a manager at Kinney Shoe Store. 
and he gets a phone call at like 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, something. He gets up, I, I look, and he's walking out, and he reaches behind the front door and gets his baseball bat. I said, where are you going? He said, I got to go break up a party. Guy that he worked for him, put a sign, at the, a sign up at the school party at so-and-so's house. They're trashing his dad's house. He doesn't know what to do. He calls my brother. My brother didn't even think about it. Gets a baseball bat and goes, cleans out a party. He's crazy. When trouble came, when kids were going to pick on me, I'm glad my brother was mean. Nobody ever bothered me when my brother was there. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I like that. I mean, it would have rather been me that could be mean, but, you know, when you're my size, you just talk a lot. And <laughs> when you, and honestly, I was afraid of my brother. Except one time we were fighting, and I kicked him in the mouth and broke his braces. And then he was more afraid of my dad than he was of me, because his dad had to pay to get the braces fixed. So anyway, guys, don't do that. Anyway, I, I feared my brother, but that caused me to fear the tough guys in the neighborhood less. When I fear, when I have a genuine awe of the power and majesty, the royal majesty of God's word, then it doesn't matter who's coming at me. It doesn't matter the attack. It will neither, that attack will neither diminish my, my joy nor lead me into sin. People, people sin often because of lack of trust and fear. And when I have all of God's word, I fear man less. How little seem the crowns and scepters of men when viewed in the light of the majesty of God's word. So he's not disheartened and he's not driven to sin. God's word exerts supreme power over his mind. Okay, so verse 161, I'm all of thy word. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Look at verse 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So all of God's word prevents the fear of man, but all of God's word also promotes joy. Sometimes we think of fear and joy. How do those things, how do those two things go together? I love this idea. Okay? Perfect illustration of it. You guys ever get in a really powerful car and you hit the gas and it scares you. And then you get the biggest smile on your face. You're still a little scared, but it's awesome. I got on a really fast motorcycle that way one time. And it's just, it, it's, I can't tell you. It's, it, that power, it exhilarates you. I told that to Laura this morning while we were getting ready. And she said, it makes me think of childbirth. There's fear, but there's joy. It's a combination of two things on the joy. I get to see the baby, and this will finally be over. Right? It, that's what the awe of God does. That there's a, there, there is a genuine fear. There ought to be a genuine fear. If you, we, we looked at a passage in, in uh, someone asked a question about uh, Leviticus. 
and God killing these people, and it doesn't look like they ever had a chance to repent. Well, they knew what they were doing was wrong. That's the same God that we worship now. Maybe we ought to fear him. And yet we live under grace, so he's so good to us and gracious to us. But he's the same God. He's the same God. And so that that awe of God's word, that awe of God's word, it produces joy in us. And it's so fun when you find something in God's word and it excites you. It's a blessing. Now, look at... um, Oh, this is fun. Verse 162 again. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I I couldn't help but think about it. I found it. And do you remember? Eureka! I found it. And so I looked it up. I couldn't remember what that was from. I remembered it from the gold rush. But he was actually quoting Archimedes, the, uh, the mathematician from about 200 B.C., And what happened with him is he was trying to figure out how to measure the volume of an irregular object. And they couldn't figure out how to do it. And he got in the bathtub and he saw that the water was displaced. And he realized that when the water moves up, if he put that irregular object in, he could measure the volume of it by how much water was displaced. How many of you are just really excited about this? You're having revival. It's wonderful. And he said, Eureka! And it's Greek, it means I found it. I found it. So in 1848, when they had the gold rush, this guy find at Sutter's Mill, he finds the, the gold. Eureka! I found it! You know, we ought to be that way with the Bible. We're going through, Eureka! I found it! This is, I found the truth! This problem that I've had in my life! I found it! I know the answer! Dr. Phil doesn't have the answer! I have the answer. My favorite Dr. Phil thing was he was talking about, he started as a marriage counselor. And he said he was terrible at it. He sat there, he said, y'all just need to get divorced. I've been with you five minutes and I hate both of you. (laughs) That was awesome. The Bible has the answers. And when we under, when we have awe of its power, We can rejoice in that power because we have access to it. I found it. I rejoice. I have it. And see, this is why Rochester died. This is why Colgate Seminary died. This is why Rochester Divinity School died. They lost the Bible. They lost its power. When they lost its power, they lost the joy of the Lord and the satisfaction that comes from the word of God, the confidence to stand against the enemies because we know what God says. All of God's word prevents fear of man. All of God's word promotes joy. Joy in its power. Look at verse 163. I hate and abhor lying. But thy, thy law do I love. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Awe purifies love. Awe purifies love. We all understand this in our relationships. So I married a germaphobe neat freak. And so what that means is I got to pick my stuff up. Right? Um, how many of you 
knew Denver before he was married? Did you ever look in the back of his car? That's where he kept his clothes. And he'd just pick a shirt out of, the, out of that, and this one, put it on. Andrea wasn't having it. Is he a little neater now? A little. A little. Why? Listen, love purifies. And Laura's ruined me. I can't work until my desk is neat now. I, I used to be happy in clutter. Uh, not Alan. <laughs> now it's got to be neat. Love purifies. Love purifies. And so notice how what this love does for, for David here. I hate and abhor lying. I hate and abhor. So what, what does it mean to abhor something? It, it means to view as an abomination. To view as an abomination. Um, oh, by the way, somebody texted me that Oral Roberts has more wins against Ohio State than Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun. I was thinking of a boring things. But anyway, um, to view as an abomination. To view as an abomination. What does he view as an abomination? Lying. Lying. Have we ever lived in a time when lies are more prevalent than they are now? Not that I know of. Because reality has been removed. Reality has been... You can say, well, I identify as whatever. Right? That's just a lie. If I say I identify as a woman, that's a lie. If a woman says she identifies as a man, that's a lie. And I can't agree with a lie if I'm a believer. Amen? Um, it's Look at what's been said about the COVID vaccine. What is the truth? I want anyone to be able to discern what is the truth. In what has been said. And when you live in a world of lies, speaking the truth is a revolutionary act. That's what Solzhenitsyn said. In a world of lies, speaking the truth is a revolutionary act. And now we're starting to see how profound a revolution really is. It's wild. And I'm not calling for revolution. We need to call for evangelism. Amen. We don't need to kill people. We need to lead them to Christ. And yet, as a Christian, I've had to stop watching the news. I, I do try to read some things and bring some things in because it's all lies. All of it is lies. And I hate it. I abhor it. And if you have a pastor, if you have a teacher that gets angry over sin. You need to encourage that. We don't want people, we don't want leaders that tolerate sin, that condone sin, that make excuses for sin. I hate it. Remember what Jesus said? 
But this thou hast to the church at Ephesus, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's commending them for their hatred. Remember David in Psalm 139. Oh, how I hate them that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. But our problem is we don't fear God enough to hate lies. We don't rejoice in his word enough. We don't have enough awe of God's word to hate the lies. Folks, just as we have to understand how righteous God is and how righteous he is to kill sinners, that's the only way we can understand the freedom and joy, the grace that we have because of the forgiveness of sin. And our love for God ought to cause us to hate sin. To hate lies. Oh, it purifies my love. My passion increases. I hate because I love. Okay, look at verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Okay, so seven is the number of... So this is kind of fun. Awe perfects praise. Awe perfects praise. Seven times a day. Seven is the number of perfection. That means I have perfect praise. When I have awe of God's word, I have perfect praise. I praise him according to his word. I praise his righteous works. I praise his words. I praise his law. I praise his judgments. I praise his precepts. I praise his statutes. I praise his commandments. I praise them. I live a life of praise. Why? Because if I focus on the hatred of the lies, I become a very sour and mean person. I need to focus on the praise. If I focus on the praise, that balances out the passion of my hatred. And so what do we need? We need a t-shirt that says, don't be a hater. We need to hate sin, but we need to love God more. We need to hate lies. We need to abhor lies as an abomination, but we need to love God more. And that love needs to make, needs to make us joyful people. This, it, my, my fear will stop my joy. My fear will stop my thanksgiving. My fear will stop my praise unless it's fear of God and awe of God's word. And then it will magnify my joy. It will magnify my praise. It will make me a person that people actually want to be around, not someone, boy, when he comes, he's going to tell us all about how bad the world is. He's going to tell us how terrible we are. He's going to tell us. What we need to tell him is God's better. Faith is better. Life is better. Life is better in the truth than it is in error. Life is better in joy than it is in depression. Life is better in, in praise than it is in criticism. And Laura and I say this all the time, that Thanksgiving is the cure for almost everything. Folks, we have got it made. It, even though we're losing some of our religious liberty, even though we live in a time where we live in a time of lies, we live in the best period of human history to be a Christian. It's a parenthesis. People are dying around the world. We get to be free. Let's praise God for that. And then if the persecution comes, let's praise God for that too. Because we're counted as, we're counted as having the privilege of suffering with Christ. Amen? So let's look again. Let's look at our text. Let's see what awe does. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. 
Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Awe of God's word prevents fear of man. Awe promotes joy. Awe purifies love and awe perfects praise. So, how's your fear? How's your awe of God's word? Do you love it? Do you love it? How's your joy? Is your love pure? And is your praise perfect? That's what God's word will do for us. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it. Lord, I pray that we really do stand in awe of your word.